Hi, I'm Camille. I'm a professor at the USC School of Drama. I am obsessed with getting to the bottom of why so many talented actors are out of work and what we can do to change that at Speak LA. And I'm Jen. I ran a secret underground agency in LA for over 20 years with a group of actor friends so that we could find our own work. Jen and I interview top industry professionals in the entertainment business with a mission of learning what they know that got them to where they are so that we can share that intel with you. We are your hosts. This episode of Speak LA, the podcast, Underground Actor Talk, is sponsored by Actors Connection. It is also sponsored by the Speak LA membership, which provides you with professional guidance and hands-on mentoring. If you're serious about your acting career, join the Speak LA membership today. We really want to work with you. To join or for more information about the membership, go to ispeakla.com. That's I speakla.com. Today's guest, Jillian Bigman, is a legend in the comedy world. After touring with Second City, Jillian was a series regular on Mad TV and later on Sons and Daughters. You likely know Jillian as Stephanie. Bradley Cooper's wife in all three of the Hangover films, or from Judd Apatow's The 40-Year-Old Virgin, and also from Adam McKay's Step Brothers. Currently, you can catch Jillian on Star Trek Lower Deck and also on CW's Roswell, New Mexico. Enjoy! How old were you when you moved to LA? 30. Did you know anyone here? Yes, a bunch of people from Chicago. How much money did you have? About $5,000. Where did you live when you first got here? Off Montana in Santa Monica. And what was your first job in LA, acting or otherwise? It was otherwise, and it was was called Josie Restaurant in Santa Monica. I was a hostess. Nice. What was your initial impression of LA? I thought it looked like a vacation, and I was uh, disturbed by the different uh, architectural styles all shoved onto one street every, every, everywhere you went. <laughs> How many years of living in L.A. Um, did it take you before you got your first job, or months, or weeks, or, you know? It took one year, right about one year. How long did it take until you felt like L.A. was home? Four years. And if you had to sum up L.A. in one word, what would that word be? Hopeful? Question mark. (laughs) I get it. That's a good one. (laughs) Jillian, we're so happy you're here. Welcome. I am so happy. I am so happy to be here as well. Yeah. Thank you. Um, you are our first, um, podcast of the season, our first episode of the season. <gasps> I know. So it's so exciting. We, we've, uh, we're just back from summer and we're so, um, happy to, to have you as our first guest. Yay. Uh, <laughs> that yes. I'm, I'm so ready to be the downer of the season. <laughs> you are not that. <laughs> um, I know you're not that. 
So I'd love to just kind of start at the beginning um, of show sure. and, and, you know, I'd love to hear, like, did you always know that you wanted to be an actor? When was the kind of moment or time period that that happened? Like, tell us about sort of the beginnings of Jillian. Oh, it's so boring. I, so I have to say, I'll start by saying this. My mom should have been the actress, just as my brother and I like to put it. She is British. She has maintained an accent. She loves an audience and she loves to tell stories and she's very polarizing and people think she's crazy, which I think, and she is very attractive. So she fits everything you can imagine as like an iconic 19, like 30s, 40s, 50s female actress. Does that make sense? Yeah. And to this day, and I think personality-wise, she's a narcissist, like, like borderline <laughs> personality, which I, again sort of fulfills the like the prophecy of being the perfect actress. Uh, <clears throat> but I think I took the best of her. I always loved comedy. I was in high school. It was probably around sophomore, junior year. I realized like I might want to pursue this. And I, I was like class clown. It was always about trying to make people laugh. I had a big insecurity of fitting in. And I think that appeal of, of the quick fix of getting someone to laugh at something you did was so much like the addiction cracky feeling like I want this over and over and over again, <laughs> that, that is sort of what led me into the world of it. Uh, so I did a lot of like, but also side note, I went to a prep school that was very much about jocks and smart people. And if you were a drama nerd, you were not cool. So I did not do drama in high school because it was like the freaks. And I was so afraid of being a freak and I didn't have enough confidence that I played sports, but I did like comedy with these guys on weekends. Does that, wow. or I, on like during, so I was like, I didn't want to be like with Nanette Deasy and like the, the weirdos who like did drama because they were like the dorks. And I, I was like, I'm cooler than that. Even though, I, I wish I didn't, I had the balls to be like, who gives a shit? Just do it. Play lacrosse and do a, a drama. Then I went to college and in college I discovered the comedy group. And that is the guys who had created super troopers. You can judge me if you want. <laughs> if you, ha if you, ha if you haven't seen it, it's basically like, I think super hilarious frack eye humor, which sounds horrible and counterintuitive as a 50 year old woman. But I still to this day, when they perform, I'm like, Oh my God, that's so dumb. I love it. I love it. So those guys had started and they're very smart too, but they'd started a comedy group uh, in college called uh, Char Goose Beak. And they went on to be called Broken Lizard. And they went on to do, um, Super Troopers uh, and Club Dread and Beer Fest. I mean, the movies are, they're basically the sweet spot of 32-year-old stoner dudes. But that was my introduction to improv and comedy. And I loved it. And that led me into moving because of a friend in college said, you should move to Chicago. It's got a big improv world. And I knew, I didn't know that much about improv and I moved there sort of blindly. That's where I moved where I knew two people. And I went through improv Olympic and second city, uh, a lot of waiting tables, a lot of tears, but a lot of fun. And that it's so boring when I say it this way, but it gives you a good perspective of like, I kind of went into it blindly. I had real jobs at first, like where I was like, 
executive headhunter and all those. But while I was doing that, I was secretly, I would leave in the middle of work days lying and I would go and audition for things like commercials or shitty non-equity, half naked, uh, potentially like double penetration films that I didn't realize what they were at the time. I, I have done a nude uh, movie that was an audition. That, by the way, I, I have to just just to, for everybody to understand what an idiot I am. When I was 20, 23, I did my first like. I auditioned for something where they're like, okay, it's a callback. I was like, oh, I got a callback. This is awesome. I'm so excited. They're like, so you're playing the part of the wife and just wear your nicest lingerie. And I'm like, I'm 23. I'm a, a, a drunk alcoholic drug addict. I don't have lingerie. I had, so I was like, so I'm going to wear a pair of boxers and a tank top. And I go to this little black box theater where they were holding the callbacks <laughs> And the woman who runs it, I won't say names just in case, and I won't say the name, but it's a, it was a non-union or a non-equity theater in Bucktown. And she's like, oh, honey, you don't have to. And I said, I only have uh, like a tank top and these boxer, boxer shorts. She goes, oh, you don't have to wear it. You're not going to be wearing anything. You're going to be simulating sex uh, on this pl platform. Uh, we really liked what you'd done like with the, with the dialogue. So we already know you can do the dialogue. So now we just want to see what it's like basically watching you fake fuck. <laughs> and anybody who had confidence and liked themselves would have been like, no fucking, no, bye. But this insecure <laughs> asshole was like, it was a little bit like when people talk about surgery when you're above your body and you see someone, you're like, oh, look at that poor, holy shit, that's me. I sort of was like, okay, I'll, I'll change. And she goes, uh, she's, and I said, is there a place to take my clothes off? She goes, yes, here's my robe. Number one, disgusting. <laughs> this is my, my robe from home. <laughs> and you can just stand where we keep our props. There's not much room in there, but take all your clothes off in there and put the robe on. So I was like, oh, okay. And I meet the hot, the hot guy I have to have fake sex with. And just to give you the premise of this short film, it, I cannot believe it. So they were making this to potentially make into a bigger film. And it's a story of a young couple who are married, even though they're in their 20s, and their their marriage is sort of falling apart. They are no longer sexually attracted to each other, except, guys, when they go to church. <laughs> and they it's, it is a sequence of them, like, oh God, being unattracted to so each bad. other. So, so bad. Wrong. And then when they... And when you go and into the confessional, they tell the priest, like, I only want to have sex with my, with my, my spouse here in the church. Could we, could, should we fuck on your altar? And the priest allows us to, this is the, I hadn't read the script by the way. Again, one more reason for me to have been like, I'm going to leave now. But instead I'm like taking all my clothes <laughs> off, putting on this robe. And I then have to pretend to have sex with this guy. They've lit all these candles around this plat platform that's supposed to be in lieu of the altar of this church. And I'm like, hello, nice to meet you to the guy. Again, who, by the way, I know who this guy is. He's married with three kids and now he lives, he used to live in LA, side note. I don't know if his wife knows that I know him like that. And both of us were fully nude. And then the director goes, it's just gonna be me, the woman who's the casting director and my cameraman but it's going to be tastefully shot so that we can see what you look like naked simulating sex on film. And again, I was like, okay. And 
I'll just say, I did the whole thing. We, he's like, okay, now you get on top. Now you get on top and show me like your face, like really get into it. I, by the way, this should be, I should have known at that point that I should have gotten back and become the head of an HR and not done what I was, <laughs> got into the world of acting. So I do this guys. And then I get a call. They're like, you got the part. And I'm at my real job. And I'm like, holy shit. Yes. Like not thinking, oh my God, I'm gonna have to keep getting naked for this thing. I got it. I just was so excited that I booked something. So I go to the rehearsal at the guy's high rise apartment where he lives with his wife and his newborn. And they're watching all the girls simulate sex on the flat screen of this guy's apartment. And it's me, the other actor who's going to play my husband and the guy who's playing the priest who I'd already gone on one date with years before. And I was like, hello. <laughs> I did not, I couldn't watch it. And they're like, oh, there were five of you guys who auditioned. So, so five other assholes like myself had gotten naked and had fake sex with this guy. And lo and behold, let's just say this, we did some rehearsing and uh, two days later I get a call and they're like, so we're going to let you go. And I'm like, what happened? They're like, we just feel like your maturity isn't there. You don't have the maturity for this part. And I'm like, no, that's true. I'm a 23 year old, but I'll just tell you right now that that fucking tape is somewhere out there. And I would love it if that guy jerks off to it still, <laughs> that director. So I just wanted to tell you that to let you know of what an asshole I was and still am sometimes and how I can make fun of people for getting into all sorts of businesses, but how dare I judge, nor do I judge uh, anybody in that world because of exactly what I just told you. Anyway, so that was, that was Chicago. And somewhere there's two tapes of me floating around where I'm take, totally naked, one of which I'm having fake sex. Oh my God, Jillian. Thank you That's so disgusting. much for sharing that story. And I think, you know, most of us that have been in this business for a while have have similar stories. Something like that, yeah, right? Yeah, yes. Yeah. So, yes. Um, yes. And, and thank God that, you know, the, the women of this younger, smarter generation are creating things like Me Too so that, you know, hopefully our younger sisters are, are not having these same experiences. But believe me, I had I had many I, I could I could uh, trade stories with you because. Oh, I yeah. can't wait. But <laughs> Let me add something mm. to that, Jen, because uh, I will say this, and I'm, I tell this story not as a victimized story. I, I tell it in a self-deprecating way of my own uh, naive, my like slutty naivete, and also it never made me feel like I, I wasn't saying this to be like I was used. I was saying it like what a dick I was, and and I agreed to it all, and I was uh, a consenting adult, so. I hope I just don't want anyone to feel like I'm telling this in in the vein of like and then and I respect and my heart goes out to everybody who's who's been victimized in that manner. So please make let me make that clear. That was a hilarious story and clearly you are a comedy queen. So that's, and that's something that's very hard for people to master. So I was just wondering, can you give us some tips that you use when you work on a comedic character? That's a great question, Camille. I think that in general working on, I really love, and I think a lot of people would say this who are both either stand-ups or comedians, they watch people, observe them and find their weirdest quirk and play off it. And I have to say, it's always fun to find that one thing that your friends have. Like I have one friend who's got a fairy, has a voice sort of like a baby. 
and it's really fun to uh, try to do her voice. And so I do it to myself. And the same thing is like how people use their hands. You'll notice how certain actors, like some people keep their fingers together, some like kind of keep their fingers apart and they talk in a certain way and they point or they, I love to mimic. And that's why I say, for example, someone like a Fred Armisen is so good because watching how he watches you and how he picks up on how you speak and how you use your body and your intonation. I, I think that's always a big thing with comedy is the ability to mimic or copy in a way that is either ex a little bit exaggerated to give off more of the comedic effect, as well as if you grew up with a lot of pain in your life. If you grew up with really uh, a fucked up background, people are usually really good at making fun of themselves. I think I think it's a lot of self-deprecation and really good at mimic, mimicking others. That is true. <laughs> and therefore being hungry for attention in a way that will give you positive results. Mm -hmm. Did I just make that so sad? No, not at no. all. I'm thinking about no. like how to, like I love, I love so much what you said and I'm sort of thinking about like how to make it, you know, I mean, what you said is great, but like, if I'm like a, you know, 23 year old listening to you, like what, like one thing I, I, I feel like I would kind of take from that is, you know, cause it, acting of all kinds always goes back to listening, right? Like that's like, yes. thing, and like paying attention. And so like, when you talked about, you know, that, that like watching what the other, like, I, I, I think it's really interesting that you didn't go right to here's how I'm funny but like watching other people and watching what they do and watching how they react to you. And all of that is, is really not like you go and look in the mirror and make funny faces of yourself. You know? No. And yeah. I think that's, that's a really good point is that it's not, yeah, everybody has a different method, but I always feel like the listening and the watching is watching how you, how your friends are at a dinner party, how they treat waiters, how they, mm -hmm. they act with their children, how they act, around other friends and you'll notice the shift. Like if the person's more of a high status that how they treat that person and how they treat you once you're around that person, that's a high status. I love the, what is it? The really the, the science or psychology of that emotional behavior is what is always amazing to watch. Look, some people are inherently good at it, uh, doing it without even thinking and other people are really good observers. And I really enjoy observing how people behave. And I think the comedy comes from sort of the taking something that's grounded and sort of ratcheting it up mm. one or two levels. I, I love what, there's a couple of things that you just said that I think are really interesting. And one is that I, I talk a lot when we, when I talk to my students about observation and sort of physicality and the different ways you kind of find your way into a character. And it really sounds like even when you're talking to us, it's, you're so physical and it's so fun to watch your, I wish everybody could see you talking, not just hear you talking right now. Um, but that's something like really interesting that I think actors listening to this can think of is like, am I a physical person? Like, is this something, do, am I drawn to the physicality of a scene that I'm watching when I'm at a restaurant or when I'm with my friends? Um, but the other thing that I think is just so fun listening to you is that you, you're, the, the way that you're talking with the humor that you're bringing to your stories and how you speak, it, um, it's such a, to me, it feels like such a great approach to, um, to the industry, to sort of the difficult aspects of being in this industry here. Mm -hmm. 
that a lot of people struggle with. And you've been somebody who has had, you've worked so much consistently in Hollywood. You are a true working actor. You're, you're somebody that some, everybody would want to aspire to having a career like yours where you're working, you're doing all these amazing projects. Um, so I'm just, I'm, I'm, and I'm, as I'm listening to, I'm like, oh, this is, it's so clear why she's always working. Like what a phenomenal attitude that you have that's, that's encased with this like amazing sense of humor. And I'm just wondering, like, what do you think has been something that you, that you've used, um, over the years to help you maintain the career that you have when it can sometimes be a real struggle here? Um, so I have to say, first off, thank you so much, Camille, because I feel this, the struggle, the struggle is real. <laughs> um, and honestly, it's funny that you said all those positive things because I feel like I'm in a place right now where I'm struggling. So to address that is a wonderful time to address this, which is, you know, the problem sometimes is that catch 22. The more you struggle, the more your confidence goes down, mm. the less, the less you feel like you can give in your auditions. Because as so many actors will say, their best auditions or the auditions where they book things are when they don't give a shit mm. or when they've got so much other stuff on their mind that they can't even really overly like overthink the audition or overthink the character, but they do it nearly in a, in a manner like you would, I don't know, driving where you're thinking about 18 other things. You just drive. You're just naturally driving. You're putting on your turn signal. You're avoiding the pedestrian that's in the middle of the road. And I do think that I am in a place right now where every audition I get, I I'm treating it like gold. And in doing so, I'm sort of screwing myself over. Does that make sense, yeah. what I'm throwing at you? And Whoever is out there that knows the real gift of letting go is the winner. As my dad used to say, and he was a neurologist by practice, but he always said this, and I'm like, he's not wrong. He'd always be like, just be loose, be loose. And I'd always be like, what the hell do you mean? Like, what, what, are you loose when you're, di when you're giving somebody, uh, what, is it, what does he do when he has to uh, put that, that spinal, oh God, you know, when they'd have to, they have to put something in your spine, like a huge needle. Oh, I'm always like, epidural. what are you, loose? Yeah. It's sort of like yeah. an epidural, but I'm like, uh, are you, are you loose then? Yeah. Is that loose? But I will say his point being is be prepared instead of being so overly perfectionist on like, oh, okay, my line is coming and I've got this. You nearly have to like, be like, fuck it. And I, I say this, by the way, I don't always do this, but you have to let go of like, I may not get this right. And if you're going to audition online or like, you know, now these days, everyone's on, on camera auditioning, which is both good and bad, by the way, I think there's pros and cons to it, but there's nearly like, you have to do that take where you're like, fuck the lines. I'm throwing them away. If I give the essence of what the, they want as a character, I'd rather do that than perfect this line. Mm. And I'm starting to realize that. And I think a lot of actors have control issues. I know I do. It's a perfectionism and there's a control issue. Like I'm going to do this and this is how I'm going to do that. And I get it because with certain, like, of course, with uh, multicams, there is a certain science to it of knowing how the line goes up, how the line goes down, the, the beat and then going into it. But I think that sort of works, especially when you're in front of a live audience, it just happens naturally. But when you audition, you kind of do have to remember all those beats. But then there comes a time when you're like, fuck it, I'm just gonna let it go and I'm just gonna see what happens. And 
usually those takes between that one and the most the, the most tightly wound uh, contrived ones, you find that perfect that perfect one. And I have to say, I do it all the time. I overly practice the lines. I picture how I'm going to say it. And there is something about like, you can't do it. You can't do that because you lose the essence of who that person is when you do that. And I know that sounds bad, but I feel like I'm in a really struggling place now where as an older aging white lady, I have less opportunities. Totally understand why it's just left me in a place of like, what am I doing? Mm -hmm. How, how do I continue keeping my head held up high where I don't feel like I'm chasing this like shitty abusive boyfriend and I'm just nibbling on crumbs opposed to being like, I can keep working. This is, this is a job for the rest of my life. And I think I'm at one of those crossroads right now. I know that sounds really depressing, but it is at least a place where I've, I've sort of been like, fuck it. When I go on an audition, I'm going to do it the exact way I want to do it rather than what I think they want. And it really is always about the essence of what you bring rather than uh, how you think it should be done. It's always so much more interesting. And I, I'm sure for you guys, if you've ever uh, directed a friend, especially a friend, when you've helped somebody audition who is a friend of yours and you know what their per personality is like and their essence is like, a lot of times you'll be like, okay, great. That was great. Just do it now. Fuck it. Don't even hold the lines. Just do it the way you would do it. Like, I want to see, let's just use a name. Like, I want to see how Alice, I want to see how you, Alice, would do this rather than this character of Eugenia. Just be Alice doing this. And usually you get the best work out of your, out of your friend or your, your actor or yourself when you just are like, I can't, I, I can't just keep thinking this is how it has to be done because no one wants you then. Yeah. No one wants you. Yeah, I, I think you're so right. Like, I think there's this thing with actors where, like, we're all we're always trying to be, like, really good students because we all know yeah. that, um, you know, the business is so hard. We've been hearing this since we were, you know, nine and announced that, you know, maybe we wanted to do this. It's like it's competitive. It's so much rejection. And so we think, like, okay, well, maybe if I can just be, like, you know, really agreeable. And but But I think what you're saying, and we hear this a lot in a lot of the episodes we do, is, like, you need to bring a confidence. I mean, confident co confidence is a big word. We hear people. Use. It's so hard though, yeah, but it's, it's yeah. that catch 22 that you're talking about. Like, how are you confident when you're, when you feel like you're getting slammed down all the time, you know? Well, and it's so, it's so interesting. You're saying that too. And I haven't watched this yet, but a friend was telling me there's some new, um, I don't know if it's Netflix or, or HBO max. There's a new documentary about this tennis player named Marty fish. And it is a lot of what actors go through is the same thing they talk about with like sports psychologists and how they handle uh, athletes. Or, I mean, look, we, we experienced it with the Olympics, although that was a real physical problem that can happen to gymnasts. I think that as an actor, the best work you do is when you're at your most confident. It's just hard to find that. And it is like the golden chalice. Like, how do you... How do you find that? And I ask actors all the time, like, well, what do you do? Some are like, oh, I picture myself. This is just a rehearsal. Like I've already gotten the role or they're like, I am saying, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. As I do the lines. And I'm like, wow, if that works for you. <laughs> and my go-to used to be when I was younger and I was far more energetic and positive <laughs> was like, I would be fully myself walking in that room and doing bits. The only problem with that sometimes, and they, they are charmed, but you know, if you're good at that stuff, they can be charmed by you. They love you. And then you do the lines. And sometimes they'll be like, 
but we like what you who you just were. Yeah. So it's it is about finding what makes you comfortable at the most. If you can't deal with people around you, get the fuck out of that room while you're waiting because you don't want to be around those other bitches. Mm -hmm. Or if you find comfort in having a conversation with a friend you're auditioning against, do that if they're comfortable with it. Or put your headphones on and don't look at anybody. Everybody has their own thing. I no longer am like, what a bitch. You won't talk to me because I get it. It's it's, it is tough trying to find whatever it is that allows you to both focus and feel free. I guess that's the biggest question, isn't it? How do you focus and yet feel truly yeah. fluid? Yeah. Uh, I'm still trying to find it. Hard. And I think every age is different. I think there are actors you'll see that are phenomenal that go through these periods, ups and downs. And I think because of the nature of the business for me right now, I am in one of my uh, lows. <laughs> I'm, smi I'm smiling. <laughs> I know. I'm so laughing. I, I wish I people it. could see your face that you said. I'm in uh, my lows with like a giant smile on your face because that's why I'm yeah. laughing, <laughs> obviously. Yeah, yeah. it's – listen, yeah. it's – and I, I, that's why I feel for everybody. And when young people, I will say this, like when I have friends who are like, Hey, my daughter wants to be an actress. I'm like, tell her, no, tell her to be an engineer, <laughs> tell her to get really into science and math, get into science and math. But then I think, but there are always going to be those kids that are so good and are so driven and are so talented. They fucking should do it. Yeah. But I always wonder what is the cutoff? Like how long do you give yourself before you say, I can't do this anymore? And what's like, the answer? I think the answer is if you don't book things for like, I'm going to be really generous here. If you can't book things and make a living from it after three years, uh, you need to find a real job. You can keep auditioning, but if you can't book things, this is not for you. It is too soul crushing mm. and you deserve to uh, like find something that your talent can be siphoned into rather look, be a therapist, be a chef, be something that allows you to have that focus but where you can do something that you can, you feel like you're making a, a true difference. Mm -hmm. uh, and I know that sounds so negative, but I'm saying like, know your limitations and see if you can play within those. And if you can't, fuck it, go back to school and learn something that you'll find re that will give you a confidence. And who knows, you can be an old person actor. My favorite stories are always like those cops who are like, yeah, I was a cop and I'm retired. <laughs> and now I'm, I've been in like 15 episodes of Blue Bloods. And you're like, fuck you. I fucking have been doing this for like 25 years. <laughs> Fuck off. But they're, they, because they don't give a shit. They've got a pension and they don't give a shit yeah. and they're playing themselves. They're all versions of Polly Walnuts and they're killing it. I think so. I, I, I'm so sad because I have to wrap this up because we're almost out of time. Sure. But I think that the, I think the real lesson of today is like, try not to give a shit. Like, I think that, I mean, that's what I'm kind of taking away from you this. You have to. In everything. Like, I love that you said tennis because I, I, you know, I've been playing some tennis lately. Yes. And it's, you've got to watch Marty Fish. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to. But people talk about that in tennis, like, you know, let go, you know, forget about it. They, you know, in, in all sports, I think, you know, you're told that. Yes. Like, you can't hold on too tight. If you want to be really good at something, you have to find a way to not hold on too tight, um, to not care too much. I mean, like you said at the beginning, it's it's such a catch-22 because, of course, we all care about the things we love to do, but you, you have to find a way to not give a shit. I have one yeah, more, one more it, thought. Sorry, no, sorry, please. Camille, but it, I will say part of the things, the things that always sort of made me give less of a shit mm. when I auditioned was if I had something else going on, not necessarily acting, that was so, that I loved so much that my brain would be turning 
around something like that. Like there are times when I am, uh, I'm excited about like, if you're a writer, you're writing a project mm. that you're really excited about. So when you audition, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't wait go, to go back and finish this outline. Or if like, this is really dorky, but I've been brewing beer. <laughs> and cool. sometimes when I am on a way to an audition, I'm like, what if I, what if I tried making more of like a fruity dry pale ale? And that will get me so excited that I won't be as like, everything depends on this audition. Yeah. Everything depends on acting because it's a little like other people who have quote unquote real jobs. A lot of them are like dentists, but they put their money in real estate or they're great sculptors and they have a lot of other interests that keep them excited. That Nick Offerman stuff is not bullshit. Like before he became famous, remember it didn't happen until his like really famous until his, I think late thirties, early forties, he had his own woodworking shop and he was good. He is good. And that is, gave him such a sense of purpose and it also was an outlet of his artistry and he made a living from it. So when he auditioned, it wasn't like, if I don't get this job, I don't pay my mortgage. I feel like a loser. I have nothing to put on Instagram. My friends will not think highly of me. Like whatever the list is that you go down when you don't book something. Duh. There. I just talked too much. No, are you kidding? That's super no, solid that was... advice. Like find, find yeah. your passion on the side. That's you yeah. have to. I love that. And and I think also just remember that each decade of your life presents a different story. Like, like I like how you're saying we get to readjust. And I think that's one of the beauties of LA is that a lot of people do come here and they're pursuing acting and then they find another profession that they really love or they find another hobby that um, brings them a lot of solace and peace. And yes. it is important because it is a, it's just a career that's so, I mean, that's why we are a little controlling as actors. It's a very, you know, you, we have to control something in this career, yeah. this career that's not linear. Yeah. So, but I like, you know, I just, I think that that's such a great, way of thinking of it too is like you're reevaluating in the different parts of your life and like maybe what is it that you want in this next part to make a good pale ale maybe that's what it is oh, oh, it's my favorite it's my favorite but that's you know and i just remember one of my favorite casting directors in chicago was a woman rest in peace named jane heights she was a great casting director <clears throat> she ended up um i think it was this the short story or the sweet story, i'm not gonna remember but her acting career came back when she was like in her seventies mm. and she was, she was a, a lot of accolades, a lot of critical success from her performances in her seventies after she had left acting, mind you, she'd gone parallel and become a casting director, but how cool, like I, I, those are the kind of stories that keep hope alive and allow you to be like, you know what? I can do this other job dream and maybe something, um, you never know where your life will lead you. And it's open. You have to live a little bit loosely, not like slutty, but loosely. <laughs> or slutty, if you want to. Or slutty, <laughs> slutty and loosely, yeah. Um, Jillian, so great. Thank you. Um, the, best. I, the best. We always end with, speaking of LA, um, we always end by asking our guests if they will share something. Because a lot of people listening um, are people who are thinking about moving to LA. So we like to sort of you know share things about LA. Um, and if you can share with us something that we call an LAism, which is something that you have found to be unique to LA. Okay, unique spot. to. No, no, I love that because it is. Okay, you, you, okay, how do I say this? The, and I, I feel like this is more in LA than anywhere else. 
try your fucking hardest not to compare yourself to other people. Mm. LA is the worst for it. I think it is worse than Milwaukee. I think it is worse than New Jersey, maybe Miami. Mm -hmm. uh, it is a town where appearance and what you drive and how you present yourself can really make you feel shitty if you don't just let go of like being like, I'm okay with who I am. Mm. It's okay. Is that terrible? No, that's great. No. And I hate to say it, wear sunscreen on your chest and on your arm when you're driving. Yeah. <laughs> All I care about, face, chest, neck, arms. Face, chest, neck, arms. Asshole. Asshole. <laughs> oh, my God. Jillian, I knew this would be fun, and it, it, it You're the best. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you. Such a pleasure. Thank you both for having me. I loved it. Hey guys, for all of you who are looking for professional guidance and hands-on mentoring for your acting career, join the Speak LA membership today. To join or for more information about the membership, go to ispeakla.com. That's the letter ispeakla.com. This episode of Speak LA, the podcast was sponsored by Actors Connection. Actors Connection offers free resources, including valuable online programs. For more information, go to ActorsConnection.com and sign up for their e-blast today. Our sound engineer is the very talented Dan Leonard of HomeVoiceOverStudio.com. My name is Jen Jostin. And I'm Camille Thornton-Alson, and we are the founders of Speak LA. You can find us at iSpeakLA.com. See you next time. Bye.